You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. How are you guys doing? All right. We are, uh, this is the first time I've been here since college got started, classes started, so So college students, how are you guys doing? All right, good. My class has started. For anybody that was interested in that last year, couldn't make it, needs to make it again, whatever, come find me and talk to me about that. But class for me has started back up. Um, come join us for the retreat, too. we got a big retreat this coming weekend. And uh, it'll be a great time to meet people and come hang out with me. It'll be fun. Um, Revelation, you guys ready? Okay, i got a ton of ground to cover. Uh, let's see here. We have been, let's, last week we got introduced to a red dragon. I go games of Game of Thrones action going on. Red dragon, seven heads. Even Game of Thrones can't think that up. Uh, ten horns, a crown on every horn, whatever that means. But uh, we got introduced to this dragon. In the passage it told us this dragon was the devil, Satan. Um, I, I know what I said in Moscow. Not sure what Thad maybe said here, but we insinuated that this Satan, this devil character, takes the form of Rome for the early readers. You're going to see that come to play here in today's passage quite a bit. It's Satan, it's the devil, no, count, no, no, no arguing that. And yet, their experience of Satan in their world, their experience of the devil is going to be Rome. So this dragon needs to somewhat be explained. We went, if we go all the way back to the beginning of our series, we said that we place Revelation during the reign of which emperor? Starts with a D and ends with an omission. Domitian, yeah, okay. So we said we put it at the reign of Domitian, late 80s, mid to late 80s. Somebody really grilled me in Moscow last week over, over the date of, of Revelation, and it's obviously Nero, and that's a very popular opinion. I'm just going to show you today how it's obviously not Nero. Um, so we're going to look at that. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to walk through some emperors. So Caesars, emperor, starts with first Roman Caesar. Very good, Julius. So you guys are tracking. After Julius, there's a battle for the throne. There's Octavian. Uh, we know him as Caesar Augustus. After Augustus, there's a handful of guys, uh, Tiberius. Um, Caligula, he was crazy. He actually appointed his horse as the Speaker of the Senate. Not kidding. That was an actual appointment. And he attended all the meetings. I'm not joking. Uh, Caligula was a little nuts. Um, after Caligula, uh, guys like Nero. Um, after Nero... Eventually, we end up running into the Flavian dynasty, uh, of which Vespasian, one of the more prominent emperors there, the thing uh, Vespasian's claim to fame, there's a few things, one of his claims to fame was that he was wounded in a battle by taking a sword to the head, okay? Uh, Everybody knew he was dead. Uh, He took a big sword wound to the head. Somehow, he, multiple historians record his miraculous healing so he had this, this wound. Now notice Vespasian is after Nero. After. Is he before or after? After Nero. And he has this mortal wound to the head that's miraculously healed. That's going to come back later. Uh, after Vespasian, eventually run into Domitian. Now Domitian was very unique in the, in the places that he took emperor worship. Some emperors really played to the whole I am divine Lord and God thing more than others. Um, Augustus kind of started the, the trend. Some emperors stayed away from it. Domitian was one of the worst 
uh, when it came to I am Lord and God, Domitian actually demanded that his wife, he had, a, he had an order that his wife call him my Lord and my God at home. Now you're thinking, yeah, that's cute. No, no, like if he ever feels like she doesn't honor him and worship him the way he desires, he has her executed. So this isn't like, oh, that's a funny rough. No, like he really ordered her to treat him as the incarnate Lord and God. Domitian was something. Now, when you have these emperors, they all have their political agendas and their campaigns and their political platforms. That they're, and so they use all kinds of different forms of propaganda to promote and to prop up their campaigns. Uh, one of the things they would use is bread and circus. You can read about that um, in, uh, in, in history. They, uh, I'll take my students to places where we found plaques proclaiming the gospel. Long before the Bible was written, they proclaimed the gospel decades before, the gospel of Caesar Augustus in places like Priene. Um, we, one of the ways they do it is mint coins. One of the most popular ways to spread your message of propaganda was to put it on coins and spread them throughout the empire. Um, uh, they would hold the games. We looked at the games a few weeks ago. One of the ways you could prop up your political campaign was to hold the games, and it gave you an opportunity to address everyone there. Everybody was pumped up because of the games. I know we don't have any way to relate to this. Uh, everybody's really pumped up about the games, and uh, everybody's got their jersey on and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and it's a way that Caesar promotes the agenda that he wants to promote. But another way they would do it is through Advent. We've talked about Advent at Advent, but Advent was another way that Rome could do this, and Caesar started it. Advent really didn't start with Jesus and Christmas. Advent was something that Caesar Augustus brought into the world in a 12-day celebration of his birth. The emperors that followed him took the idea and played off of it. And ad Advent means arrival. So anytime that Caesar wanted to make an arrival, he would show up with a planned Advent. Now, I can remember my wife has two brothers that work at an airport in Boise. <laughs> anyway, um, so many jokes. Uh, so they work in the airport in Boise. I remember uh, years ago, Air Force One landed in Boise. I mean, that was a big deal for Boise Airport. Airport I, I got videos from my brother-in-law uh, of, the, of Air Force One, like, taken off. It was pretty crazy. Big deal. Quite the hubbub. Imagine that times 100, because it wasn't just like the president's in town. It was like the president lets you know five years in advance he's going to be there. They send out all the flyers. They promote it on TV. They, they do all, they don't have TV, but you get the idea. And, and it's this big deal. They, like, erect entire buildings for the advent, the arrival of Caesar. Now, a lot of emperors would do this a few times. They might have three or four, seven advents. Uh, in recorded history, the guy in second place, which I can't remember who it was, had 11. It's a lot of advents. Domitian had 22. Okay, it gives you an idea of how serious this guy was about promoting his agenda. Now, that's relevant because Revelation is written during the reign of Domitian, and it's written from Ephesus. You're like, no, it's not. It's written from Patmos. No, I was on the island of Patmos. Was, not am, was. Say it with me. I was on the island of Patmos. It's a simple matter of tense. Um, so he's not on Patmos anymore, and we know that he lived in John from church history. We know lived in Ephesus. So Revelation is written in Ephesus. Why that's relevant is because Domitian chose Ephesus as his neochorus. Say neochorus. Neochorus is a Roman way of saying capital. Every Caesar would choose a capital city from which to center his base of power. 
Usually it was chosen because of its placement geographically for influence, all that kind of stuff, commerce, economy, all that. Domitian chose Ephesus. Now, prior to his advent, he announced this choice of Neochorus and announced his advent coming in the next four to five years and commissioned the construction of this building right here. This is the ruins of a gymnasium. I say gymnasium, you think university, okay? It's the same kind of idea. Gymnasium for them is more like university. It did have PE, um, so it does have called, what's called palestra. It's very physical education, athletic-centered, but it also has your whole holistic education. So it's really, gymnasium is really university. This is the largest gymnasium by far in the ancient Roman world. Domitian commissioned the construction of the largest gymnasium in the Roman world. Now, here's the deal. I actually found out two weeks ago when I was standing in this very spot uh, with Aaron that I took the wrong photo, in essence. This, these ruins right here are actually some ruins of a construction by Hadrian uh, decades later. The, the gymnasium, I actually only got two-thirds of it, not even quite two-thirds of it in the frame. The gymnasium actually goes all the way another third, almost half, out of the picture frame that direction. Now, if you're like, I'm having a hard time figuring out what I'm looking at, the green things are trees. <laughs> this is a big building. Now, to give you some, I really want to let this sink in. A building project of this magnitude in the first century would take, on average, about 100 years. It would take about a century to build this. That's actually, it sounds like, why would you even start it? You'd be dead by the time you finished. In a lot of cases, yes, because you're building it for something else. I've been at temples where it took 800 to 900 years to build the temple. This is not crazy in their world. It's a big building with lots of buildings in the entire complex. It takes a long time to erect it. So at some point, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, but 100 years generally to build this. Listen to me. Domitian did it in four. First service wowed at that. Apparently nothing here. He did it in four years. This is... This went up so quickly that a couple Roman historians said, this building, this is actually right next to the harbor. Just outside the frame here is the Ephesian harbor. It sits right up against the harbor. So if you're in city center looking towards the harbor, historians said this building went up so quickly it looked like it was rising out of the sea. Okay? Now, that's what Domitian is doing. And I can guarantee you in the apps, say apps, apps is like the big center, like the big mantle of the building, would have stood some kind of statue of Domitian on some level. We got another statue I'm going to show you here in just a moment that stood somewhere else. But all throughout the city, he would have erected statues of his uh, imperial deity. And it would have sat in his gymnasium without exception. This is an agenda a propaganda machine, this gymnasium. Now, Ephesus had learned a lesson years, decades prior. When Rome tried to level a tax against Asia, Ephesus got mad and revolted against the tax. That did not go well for them, and Caesar crushed Ephesus. And they learned a lesson. What Caesar wants, Caesar gets. So anytime Caesar wanted to do anything, what city do you think was first in line to go, great idea, Ephesus. So when Domitian says, you're my capital, and I'm going to build my gymnasium, 100-year building project in four years, the people of Ephesus went, oh man, we better get busy doing something. 
So they wanted to collect their own resources and build their own temple to Domitian so that when he got there, they were able to say, Domitian, welcome. Let us take you to your brand new temple that we built. So they constructed this. This is an artist's rendition. In case you were curious, it's not actual ruins. Um, so this is an, a rendition of what they think it would have looked like. They wanted to build his temple. This was going the other direction. So if you're standing in city center, his gymnasium is towards the sea, and this temple is going up towards the land, inland, okay? It's called the Flavian Temple. They had to build a box because the hill wasn't big enough. So in, in the Roman world, that doesn't matter. You just build the box that you're going to put the temple on. So they use vaults to create a platform and these pillars, you can see all the pillars, and you can see on each pillar a statue of one of the 24 legal Roman deities. So 24 pillars, each pillar having one of the Roman deities, and look at the message. The gods hold who up? Domitian, not the other way around. Domitian doesn't hold the gods up, the gods hold Domitian up. Do you catch the message? This is, this is Domitian's message. I am Lord and God. The statue there was 30 feet tall to the tip of the hand. 25 feet tall to the head, top of the head. Huge statue. Here's actually from that same southern wall. Here's a picture of what the ruins look like. That's the top of the platform. That was your temple ruins there. And then you can actually see the two pillars sticking up right there off to the side of the hill. Those are two pillars that still remain standing to this day. Uh, I think they actually probably re-erected them. That was a weird thing to say. And then, and then here's another picture from the ground level showing you the two pillars that are there. So this is an impressive little construction. Uh, one of the things that Domitian um, demanded in a way to, again, promote his political campaign of I am Lord and God was he demanded uh, your tribute, your allegiance, your worship before you could engage in buying and selling. Before you could engage in commerce, you had to be able to say that you had worshiped, offered incense on the altar, hailed Caesar as Lord and God, and they would give you a mark on the wrist. Some people have suggested the forehead, but I don't think we have any historical evidence for that. There's a mark on the wrist to basically say, I've, I've given the, my allegiance, I've offered my worship, and now you can't buy and sell without it. There's no transaction that you can, you know the chips and the cards now? There's no transaction that you can make without the mark. Makes, if you're going to be a Christian and deny emperor worship, it's gonna become quite difficult. You can't buy gas, they don't have cars. You, 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 can't, you can't go buy groceries, you can't engage in commerce at all if you don't take the mark, okay? This is, uh, here's a picture of the actual statue, some of the remains of the statue that sit in the museum at, good looking guy, right? I don't know. Looks weird without a nose. Uh, the arm, the piece of arm you have there is six feet, gives you an idea of scale. That's six feet, just that piece uh, that sticks up there. This is actually what Aaron thought of Domitian. So there we have, we have that. That's what he thought about Domitian. That's actually what everybody thought about Domitian. Um, very unpopular emperor once he died. Like you think, oh wow, everybody just, love. And, and during his reign, like all the records are like, he's the greatest guy ever. As soon as he dies, Everybody's like, this guy was horrible. You didn't say that while he was alive unless you wanted to be dead. But once he died, people were ruthless about this guy. Here's a quote from Pliny. 
Uh, Domitian was the beast of the sea whose teeth drip with the blood of good Romans. The beast who comes by sea. Multiple historians referenced Domitian after his death as the beast. Christians picked up on this and started using the term the beast everywhere, according to what little bits of history that we have. So this was, this was a big theme. Now, I'm sure you probably have picked up where this is headed, but I want to look at the passage today, but I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to come, I might even ask you to, if you're that kind of person, I know some of you are not, you're rebels, that's cool, that's great. But if you would, close your eyes and come with me. Uh, I want you to use your imagination. And I want you to come with me and, and imagine that you are members of this small house church in Ephesus, some 20, 30 people that gather in a home that's about halfway up the hill, the southern hill there outside of Ephesus. You, you've lived there for decades, actually. The, the message of Christ and the gospel of Jesus made it to Ephesus. You've had quite an impact, to be quite honest. In a city of three quarters of a million to a million people, you've had quite an impact bringing shalom to chaos. You, you have heard about this new emperor whose name is Domitian. You've also heard the claim that he has chosen Ephesus as his capital city. You've heard rumors that Domitian is going to demand imperial worship. And you, you believe that when he makes landfall, should the rumors be true, his demand is going to begin right here in your hometown of Ephesus. You've watched this building project for the last four years, the, the construction of this massive gymnasium, unlike anything you've ever seen, go up faster than you could have ever imagined, and it's only made the anxiety in your house church grow. Over the last couple years, you have gathered together, and you have wrestled with, and you have prayed over what is God's call for your house church. Should you run to preserve the faith, or should you stay and stand and bear testimony to the way of Jesus, knowing that it means probably almost certain death? Through prayer and wrestling, your elders and with the agreement of your church have decided that what God has called you to do is to stay. You know what the implications and consequences of this decision might be. Then one morning, your eight-year-old daughter is outside your front door and she screams. You run out the front door, you look towards the harbor and it's full of ships. Today is the day Domitian has arrived. You watch as laborers pull statues, 20, 30 statues off of the first ship and they begin to wheel them through town to their different places of installation. All the statues of his imperial greatness, Imperator Domitian. Off of one of the ships steps a, a grand choir, the 24 chief Elders of the 24 legal Roman religions dressed in white robes with golden sashes and wreath crowns on their head. As they walk down Harbor Street, they sing the imperial praise. All hail Domitian, Lord and God. All hail Domitian, Lord and God. Off of the next ship, soldiers begin to disembark and line up in perfect Roman formation. They begin to march down Harbor Street to the beat of drums, 
boom, 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 boom. They're wearing shining, gleaming new honor, uh, armor. Their helmets shining in the sun, big red Roman capes. You notice the capes are being held together on their breastpiece with a brand new medallion you've never seen before. On the medallion, the words are written, Domitian, Lord and God. As the soldiers continue down Harbor Street, eventually a herald steps off of one of the ships, marches to the forum at the beginning of Harbor Street, steps up onto a podium and announces in a loud voice, tomorrow is the great and anticipated grand opening of Domitian's new gymnasium. We will gather together in joyful anticipation to honor Caesar with our worship as we hail him Lord and God. All residents, both citizens and non-citizens, both slaves and freedmen, are required to be in attendance at his gymnasium from noon to 2 p.m. tomorrow, where you will be demanded to offer the imperial worship Refusal to show, refusal to worship is punishable by immediate execution. You gather together that night as a house church and you talk together. Not much, not many words are actually shared. You encourage one another what little you can. There's a dark, somber mood. Some people are crying. Your eight-year-old daughter looks at a couple people in the group and she says, Ima, Safta, Mommy, Grandma, are we going to die tomorrow? Maybe. And then there's a knock at the door. It startles everyone. They walk to the door and it's actually one of your deacons. He holds in his hand a piece of parchment. It's a letter from your pastor, Pastor John. You gather together excited to hear a word of encouragement from somebody who walked with the rabbi Jesus. You open up the parchment to read these words. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a month, a mouth, uttering, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It's, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemous blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, 
let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he will be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast uh, worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is six, six, six. Now, I, I hope that helps bring context to this chapter in Revelation. I know you got questions about the number. Let me just deal with the number and passing before we wrap this up. Uh, the number of the beast, uh, the number 666 goes all the way back through the Old Testament. The number six was connected in Genesis to the number of the, uh, the beast the beast of, 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 like the beast that God makes that walks upon the earth, the snake. He was created on the sixth day. It plays itself all throughout the Old Testament. You might remember Goliath. He was six cubits tall. He has a spearhead of six shekels heavy, and he has a brother with six fingers, and he has armor like scales. Now, if I tell you a guy is 666 and has armor like scales, you immediately think of the snake, the serpent. Right, okay? Uh, Sheba, Queen Sheba, gives Solomon a tariff, a tax of 666 talents. This is, a, this is a number that's been used all throughout the Old Testament. It's not as new or unique to Revelation at all. One of the ways that this is calculated is what's called Hebrew gematria. Say gematria. Gematria is Hebrew triangulation. You essentially assign a number to every one of the Greek letters of the alphabet. You take the Greek letters of the name, you add up the name, and you get a particular number. If you take Domitian's imperial name and you calculate his number, it ends up coming to 666 using Hebrew gematria. Ethelbert Stauffer was the one who wrote the book on that. Um, you can also do it, unfortunately, with the name Nero. You can also do it with the name Santa Claus. So I've tried to warn you. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, I digress quite quickly. Um, I want to ask you this question. Enough with the number thing. Let me get back to the story. I want to ask you to wrestle with the question of what marks you carry. What marks do you carry today? What, one of the things that I love about, I mean, there's not a lot that I love about funerals, but one of the things that I appreciate about funerals is this ability to look back on a person's life and talk about the things that they were known for, typically the good things that a person was known for. What are the marks that you would be known for if something happened, God forbid, and your funeral was next week? What would be the things that you would be known for? 
Would you be marked with the marks of the slain lamb? We're told what some of those marks would be, fruits of the spirit. If somebody were to look at your life, would they say, you know what stands out to me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things I think of when I think of that person. Would, Would people look at you and would you be marked with the character of God? Would you, be, would you live in a way that would fall in line with the allegiance to the slain lamb? Or have we sworn our allegiances to other things? Uh, I think about our vocation and our profession, and I wonder how many of us are willing to do anything at whatever cost to advance in our profession, to make it through our education, to get more degrees, because we've sworn our allegiance to a system that's all about me. I, I wonder how many of us, by the way, none of these are bad things. Like education's great. Like your vocation, God called you to do your vocation. It's sacred, holy work. That's not the issue. It's when we swear our allegiance to those things that it becomes a problem. I wonder about politics. I, I wonder about how we'd be willing to sell out all kinds of things We'd be, we'd be willing to sell all kinds of things that we would, we would have said were moral things, but, but they really just don't matter because really it's about this political ideal. I wonder what kind of marks we carry. I went back to the gym this week. <laughs> it's been a decade. <laughs> You're like, no. Yeah. Uh, went back to the gym this week. Immediately I was reminded I've been gone for over a decade. Immediately I was reminded there is a narrative there that calls for my allegiance. It says, just come over here, I'll give you a mark. It wants my attention. It wants me to feel like that's where my worth comes from. The gym, by the way, is not a bad place. Taking care of your body is a fantastic idea. (laughs) Uh, It's a wonderful idea, but there's a a narrative there that says, hey, if if I'm not like that guy, if I'm not as big as him, if, if I'm not as beautiful as her, if I'm not, what, there's a narrative there that says, hey, come swear your allegiance to me because I'll get you where you want to go. Uh, and I wonder, heaven forbid, about our sports teams. I'll just talk about me because I don't want to offend any of you. I, I know that I was thinking this week about the many times, maybe even very recently, maybe even within the last eight hours, that I, I actually wasn't up, so I can't say that, but if I would have been, it would have been. I have sat screaming at the television. Screaming at the television. And I wondered this week as I prepared for my sermon, I wondered what would have happened if some of those people from Revelation in the first century who showed up at the gymnasium and died at the edge of the sword, I wonder what they would say as they sat on the couch next to me. Once the game was over and I had calmed down, I wonder if they would say, Marty, you don't get that excited about anything involving the kingdom. There are coaches in the room. Like I would hope that we would go cheer for our teams and that we we would love the games and that we would be good fans. But I wonder if if I lack an allegiance I wonder what marks I carry. I wonder if some of them are wearing them today. 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's all good. Maybe it's all good. Maybe it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Like, I don't want to convict you. Yeah, I do. But I, maybe it's not you. I get it. Maybe it's not you. I just want to challenge us today to be honest. I want to challenge us today to be honest. Like, what, are you really, like what gets you worked up? What, what will make you lose sleep? What marks? What marks? Uh, I want to I work towards our closing. So I need to have our servers go ahead and go back and prepare the bread and the juice for us. If you're visiting with us, we have an open table. So that means uh, you're, if you want to celebrate the death, burial, of resurrection of Jesus, your family, and you need to join us, just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it all together here in just a moment. I have some implications I want to work through. Uh, first implication. No matter how much the world tries, the Lord will not share his glory. Not because he's a mean, like, arrogant, narcissistic jerk, but because it's his, like, it's his glory, and you, you can't get that glory anywhere else. It's not like God's like, like, no, my glory. My, no, he's just the only one that real glory comes from. So no person, no leader, no politician, no political system, no church, no organization can ever have this stance that says, I've got the answer. It's my political agenda. Because God shares that seat with nobody. Thank you very much. But let's even make that personal for a moment, if you will. So it's not about other people. It's not about other, like, you know, whatever, politicians. Or, let's make it about me. Because I've often thought about the language that we use. I remember my teacher, my Rebbe, talking to me about, I got a raise. I got a job, I passed the test, I whatever. And he called me back to Deuteronomy that warned God's people, be very careful when you make it into the promised land, Moses said, because you will begin to think my ability and the strength of my hand has acquired all this for me. But it was the Lord, Moses said, who gave you the ability. I wonder how often... I remember that it's the Lord and his glory that got me where I was going. Next implication. Community is what sounds the alarm to the danger of the incremental shift. That, that's an Arianism, incremental shift. He said it in the sermon club this week, I liked it. And I think we all know what we mean, incremental shift. Y'all know what that is? It's that, it's that little tiny, I'm a golfer. Do you, do you, you're like, no, you're not. Yeah, you're right, I'm not, but... <laughs> Do you know what happens when you're off a quarter of an inch in your golf game? About 100 yards happens. I open my club face about a quarter of an inch, and that ball is... The incremental shift in our life. I always tell my college students, I say, for most of you, you're not married yet, you don't have children yet, but little decisions that you... Little decisions. Little decisions that you make today will change your trajectory enough that it will have huge impacts on your children, your future spouse, the life that you have in both directions, positive and, ne and negative. You can make positive incremental shifts and have a huge impact on who you become. But community, community is a thing. If you're not surrounded with others, brothers and sisters, nobody is there. You don't see it. It's an incremental shift. It was justified by you in a moment. 
I mean, you're all like, yeah, 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 I don't worship the Seahawks. Okay, good. Do your brothers and sisters check you on that? Do, your, do you have brothers and sisters in your life that go, hey, 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 that's been an incremental shift, but it's starting to show. Your mark is showing. You guys doing okay this morning? Okay. Next implication. Each person has to swear their own allegiance. Do you remember us talking about God's part, their part, my part? This is a definite their part one. This is really hard as parents because we want to make our, our children swear. We want to make them. Like we, or if you're a college student, you have that best friend that's making horrible decisions and you just want to like drag them to the right altar <laughs> and like kicking and screaming and make them swear their allegiance to the right. You, don't, you can't, can you? As parents, you can't do that even to you even with your children, employers, like you have staff and you're like, I am, I am gonna make them do that. No, you're not. It's not how it works. So you'll try and it won't work. So try something else. Like each person has to swear their own allegiance. Last implication. These were, there were consequences for taking the mark then. There are consequences for taking the mark today. The problem is then it was a lot more clear. The clarity of the sword made things a lot more black and white. Today, it's much more subtle. But to think that in the subtlety, there's still not grave consequences. We might look more at that next week. There are consequences for the marks that we take today with our children, with the people that watch us, with the people that we work with, with ourselves. There's consequences. And so this table provides us an opportunity to come and Thad started us off with directed prayer today with a moment of confession and repentance. He told us that the scriptures say it is easy to deceive ourselves. Yes, it is. And so we're gonna need community and we're gonna need the Holy Spirit to show us. Our prayer today as we come to the bread and the juice would be God, show me. Show me where I got a mark. Now, here's the beauty the blood of the lamb has this unbelievable ability to wash that mark away. You'll never see it again. Isn't that great? Amen. Hallelujah. I think it's awesome. We get to come to a table and we get to say, I got some marks I need to check myself on. That night, Jesus took a piece of bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus today. Later in the meal, he took a cup, passed it to his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember Jesus. Father God, my prayer today would be um, that each and every one of us could find a space where we could come and we could be honest. We could be honest because we know that there's hope in you. We could be honest because we know that your grace, your faithfulness, your acceptance is the anchor to our walk. In spite of the ways that we've sworn our allegiance to all kinds of other things, uh, God, I, I pray that you would, um, I pray we would come to you today as, 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 as employers and employees. I pray we would come to you today as family members, spouses, fathers, mothers, children, that we would come and we would come examining. I, I pray we would come as, as, uh, as friends 
as people who are called to a particular vocation and spiritual gifting, I pray we would come as fans of things that we love. I, I pray we would put all the things in their proper place and we would enjoy them well. But ultimately, I pray that when we leave here, we would leave with your marks, nothing else. We would be marked by your way, by your methods, by your, the slain lamb agenda. God, I, I, I pray you would forgive us all, each and every one of us. Forgive us as a community. Forgive us as individuals. Uh, and I just pray all these things in the name of the resurrected slain lamb, Jesus Christ, today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 